Please turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Book of Lamentations, which you've just been in. Perhaps you're still there. Daniel gave you a good history and background of the setting of the book. Uh, uh, Jeremiah was anointed as a very young man. In fact, he may have been a teenager, for all we know. He was very young because he said in, in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a youth. And so his objection was, Lord, you can't use me. I'm too young. I, I'm too inexperienced. Does it remind you a little bit of Moses? Remember, Moses said, you, you can't use me because I, I can't speak. Maybe he stuttered. I don't know what it was, but had a speech impediment or something. And God wouldn't have any of it with Moses, would he? He sent him anyway. And he did the same with, with Jeremiah. And in the next verses, when his, God's reply to Jeremiah to that was, but the Lord said to me, uh, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Jeremiah's message was of impending uh, judgment. God's uh, time for God's judgment had come. But that if they would repent, God would spare them the worst of it. But they would not repent. And in fact, he, uh, he he received much persecution. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you can see that Jeremiah was persecuted grievously. But God always kept his promise to him. He always took care of him, even when things looked pretty dark for Jeremiah. Well, of course, then all of his prophecies were fulfilled when Jerusalem fell. All of Jeremiah's enemies, along with a vast majority of the population, were slain with a sword, or died of starvation, or of disease. The king uh, was made, uh, the king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, captured Zedekiah, and he forced Zedekiah to witness the slaying of all of his sons right in front of him. And then uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar put out his eyes and took him away to captivity to Babylon. The city wall was broken down, the city was torched, and the unthinkable climax of it all, the temple, the glory of Israel, was destroyed. Now this book of Lamentations proves Jeremiah's love for his nation. For though their destruction vindicates his prophecies, he weeps rather than rejoices. Now, his enemies accused him during the siege. They went to the king at one one point, and they accused him of being a traitor. They said he weakens the men of war. Well, you can imagine that the city's under siege. He's got a foreign army besieging it. And Jeremiah is saying, you need to surrender. <laughs> you need to surrender. You can imagine how the the military leaders would feel about that. And they weren't too happy with him. But it was also well known that he was a prophet of the Lord. And so he was speaking not in his own name, but in the Lord's name. Well, they complained to the king. The king had him thrown into a dungeon. Uh, he sank in uh, deep muck, it says there. And, and uh, it must have been a pretty dark time. Imagine Jeremiah thought at the time, Lord, you said that you'd protect me from these people. Well, uh, then he did. And that's another story of uh, Ebed-Melech, who comes to the king. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. 
and uh, just uh, just a servant in the court of the king. And he comes and basically rebukes the king. And he says, these men, these men have done evil to Jeremiah. And uh, he talked the king into giving him 30 men to go get him and pull him out of the dungeon and rescue him. Anyway, that's a story all its own. Well, this book of Lamentations then proves that their accusations were false, or at least it goes a long way to prove it, prove it because of Jeremiah's broken heart over the fulfillment of his prophecies. He doesn't gloat over them. He could have easily done that, but uh, he didn't have that kind of spirit. He had that he had the spirit of a true shepherd, a true uh, pastor. He cared about what was happening to his people. It's um, his lament. Uh, to, to lament, according to Webster's, means to express deep sorrow, to mourn or grieve, to regret deeply. And thus we have the name of the book. It's a collection of laments. It's a book of sorrow and mourning and weeping over the judgment of God upon Judah. Jeremiah had seen it all. He'd seen the nation in its glory under good King uh, Josiah's short reign, and uh, then he'd seen the advancing of the storm of foreign invasion and the siege and the suffering of his fellow Jews, and finally the destruction of everything, as we've already mentioned. This is written poetically. It's kind of like Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is written with every letter of the Hebrew alphabet has a section that follows it. And, and, uh, and so uh, you have every letter of the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet with certain verses behind it. Well, this is written in the same way. The first four chapters are also alphabetical in that way. Each chapter has one verse for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You'll see 22 verses uh, for, for chapters 1, 2, and 4. <clears throat> but chapter 3, the chapter that we're in, it triples it. It has three verses for each letter, and hence we have 66 verses in this chapter. So you divide that by three, and you have the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Of course, we don't, we're not reading it in Hebrew. We're reading it, reading it in English, so you'd miss that if you're just reading it in your English Bibles. The first 18 verses of this chapter, the context that we saw in our scripture reading, are pure lamentation. And we see Jeremiah identifying here with the nation. Their sufferings are his sufferings. Uh, verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction. <clears throat> and of course, Jeremiah had indeed seen much affliction. But he was also speaking of the afflictions of the nation. He was identifying with them. In verse 7 it says he has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. Obviously speaking, referring to the siege. Uh, verse, uh, verse 11, he has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. So this is what happened to the nation under God's judgment here. And this is how Jeremiah felt about it. But Jeremiah had not been personally torn into pieces. We know that. God had not been like a lion in ambush, ready to pounce on Jeremiah. Uh, but God had said this of himself regarding the nation. And it was a fulfilled prophecy of Hosea from many years earlier. I think it was a couple hundred years earlier. Hosea had said, I'll be like a, a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, I, even I, will tear them and go away and I will take them away and no one shall rescue. So that he's maybe referring to that prophecy here in that verse. So the nation is suffering, 
And Jeremiah is suffering as though those very same things were his own sufferings because of his identification with his people. He can speak of all that suffering as his own. Doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound like Jesus? Jesus, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus identified with our sufferings. And he took our punishment upon himself. Uh, Jesus, instead of coming to rescue and to save us, he could have remained in heaven. He could have gloated over us. He could have said, see, I told you that the wages of sin is death. All your suffering you deserve. And the angels would have agreed with him. And no one would have charged him with being unjust. Uh, We'd have all gotten exactly as we deserved had Christ not come to rescue us. Just as the Jews got what they deserved when the Chaldeans destroyed them. But aren't we thankful that God is not like man? This is our glory. This is our hope. God is not like man. And um, thank God that God is God. And and, uh, he's a compassionate God. And though a God, he is a God that will bring vengeance and he will bring judgment in in the right timing. Yet he's a God who delights in mercy. It's as though judgment were his strange work. It was it's a work that he's reluctant to do. But mercy, he's 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 happy to do. He's quick to do. He wants to do it quickly. You call upon God for mercy and you have mercy right now. Our sins provoke his justice, but he's slow to bring it about. So people misunderstand. They think, oh, God doesn't care how sinful I am. No, God does care, but he's patient. I'm so glad he was patient with me. Has he been patient with you? Let's praise God for his patience. So in the midst of this dark book, with dreadful uh, afflictions all around, In this context, we find our text. And it's not without significance that this fine gem of comfort that we have in our text is set in this dark backdrop of suffering and mourning. All of Scripture, of course, is profitable, but some is more so than others. And scattered here and there in the Bible, we all know, are exceptionally bright and blessed passages that mean a lot to us. You have your favorite verses, right? I have mine. But it's in this brighter, uh, this passage is all the brighter and all the more blessed because of where it's found. Just as a jeweler will show off the luster of a a diamond by placing it on, on a black surface, so the Holy Spirit does this here for us. We have this brilliant gem of encouragement amidst the backdrop of the darkest of circumstances. And that's why I had us read that in our scripture reading and reading it in context. In verse 19, he changes from lamentation then to prayer and then for reasons of hope. Let's read our text then. Lamentations 3, it'll be verses 19 through 27. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope through the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Our text here has nine verses, three sets of three. Uh, Each set of three has a theme that goes together, and that's the same throughout the chapter. And sometimes that theme flows into the next set as well. In other words, the ending of one set will set you up for the next set of three. And so let's consider these three sets of three uh, uh, verses in this poem. So first we have remembrance, in the second set we have hope, and the third we have waiting. So remembrance in verses 19 through 21. He calls upon God to remember his suffering. Remember my afflictions and roaming. In other words, Lord, look upon me in my suffering. He calls upon God to think about him in his suffering. Why should we call upon God to remember our suffering? Can God forget? Uh, did, 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 did your suffering somehow slip his mind? He didn't notice? Is that why we need to call upon him? Sometimes it feels that way, though, to us, doesn't it? Like somehow God isn't watching, somehow God isn't remembering what we're going through. See, the worst part of suffering is when it appears to us that God doesn't see it and God doesn't care. Nothing hurts like feeling alone in your sorrow. You know, sometimes the best way we can help people is just being there to listen to them. They just need to know that somebody cares. And you are uh, that kind of people, and I appreciate how you minister to one another in that way and to myself. You know, we might not have the answers, um, and that's understandable, but we can let them know that we think about them and that we pray for them, and that makes a big difference in the lives of people. People need to know that people are thinking about them while they're suffering. Uh, Jeremiah must have felt very lonely. He had few friends. He had many enemies. Uh, Many of his friends were either dead or, or carried into captivity. God had forbidden him to marry, so he didn't have a wife. And some of you here are single, and sometimes I know that you probably feel alone, and you wish you had someone to tell your sorrows to. Well, Jeremiah had a real good idea. He took his troubles to God. Remember me. He took his troubles to God. You know, that God wants you to take your troubles to him, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's a wonderful passage in First Peter chapter 5. But we have this it's in the Old Testament. We have it in the Old Testament, too. We have a, a wonderful set of three verses here where Jeremiah is calling upon God to look upon him. Notice my suffering. He's asking God to take note of him so that he was coming boldly to, to God. And, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, can't we? <clears throat> this is what Jeremiah did. I like the words to the song. Uh, it's a, the song that you probably know, you're probably familiar with. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. 
Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. You know, it's nice to be able to tell your friends, but it's extra nice to be able to tell it to Jesus because we know that he knows and he cares. He says to remember, he says, uh, he says uh, uh, here about the wormwood and the gall. He says, he says, remember my afflictions and roaming the wormwood and the gall. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, remember, remember the wormwood and the gall. See, there, there, there are some right here this morning, probably, that have memories that are like wormwood and gall to you. And we all desire happiness and we all desire good memories. And these good memories are refreshing to us, aren't they? But certain memories are like wormwood and gall, bitter things. And Jeremiah was honest about he felt. He said, I feel bitter. I feel like I've been eating wormwood. And he, he didn't, you know, you know, you tell it to Jesus. Tell him, tell him the whole thing. Tell him how you feel about it. And that's what Jeremiah was doing here. He says, feels like I've been eating wormwood and gall. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> then he says, my soul still remembers and sinks within me, verse 20. Have you ever had that sinking feeling? A feeling of hopelessness and despair. Some of you know exactly how that feels. It might even wake you up at night sometimes. Jeremiah was one of God's choice servants, but he felt that. And guess who else felt that? Who knows about that sinking feeling? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, both in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ felt deserted and he felt that sinking feeling. He says, in Matthew 26:38 he told the disciples my soul is extremely sorrowful even unto death. Have you ever felt that way? My soul is extremely sorrowful even unto death. There's a lot in those words. And that's what the Lord Jesus felt. He felt that. You see, you can tell your sorrows to Jesus and he knows how you feel. And not just because he's omniscient not just because he's God, but he remembers the wormwood and the gall. He remembers how he felt. He felt it all more than any other has ever felt it. And he cares for us when we feel that way. Now, of course, memory can work both ways, can't it? In verse 21, he remembers something else. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Just the opposite of that sinking feeling. Here's a memory that gives hope. In 1965, Jackie DeShannon released her hit record, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. And I agree with that sentiment. But there's something else the world needs now, and that's hope, sweet hope. You know, the, the sharp rise in suicide rates in recent years is evidence that the world has lost its ability to deliver hope. And why not? When it teaches this generation to believe that they evolved from nothing and there is no God, no hell beneath us, no heaven above, that supposed utopia of atheism that the Beatles sang about. 
Well, I got news for you. Without God, there is no possibility of hope. We shouldn't be surprised that we live in a hopeless world because we live in a godless world. And the more we shove God out of the world, the more hope leaves the world. Those that think they have hope while denying God are fools and will end up hopeless in the end. For they've turned back on their only hope, and that's God himself. Solid hope and lasting treasures none but Zion's children know. Jeremiah remembered well. He remembered his hope. And this sets up the theme for the next trilogy of verses, verses 22 through 24. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. You see, these verses so well known are more precious when we consider them in this context, aren't they? They're beautiful by themselves, if you just quote them by themselves. But, and you know, when we wake up and the sun is shining and we have our health and everything's going well in our lives, we ought to give God thanks for those days. And we ought to rejoice and say, yes, great is thy faithfulness. But to glorify God's faithfulness, when we're walking in the sunshine and the joys of life is really relatively easy. What's so lovely about the setting we find these verses in is that they're set in the midst of this intense suffering and perplexity that Jeremiah was going through. God's chosen people were apparently forsaken. It's impossible for us to to really understand the depths of the sorrow that was happening at that time in the lives of the people that remained. They had seen their relatives killed or die, die of starvation or disease. And there were probably even the stench of dead bodies was, was horrific and the things that they had to go through. Um, but I know that some of you have gone through some very significant suffering that has baffled you and perplexed you. And I, and I, because I, I know about some of your sorrows. And some of you have gone through such intense sorrow that you couldn't really even describe it. But what do we do when God sends us these kind of sorrows and these kind of troubles? Well, the remedy for us is the same today as it was for Jeremiah. He dealt with his sorrow in two ways. One was by way of lamentation. He expressed his sorrows to God, telling God exactly how he felt. But the second way, and primarily, he resolved his sorrows in the right contemplation of God. That is, who God is and what God is really like. And he had to believe these by faith because his sight, by sight he couldn't see the mercies of God at this time. They were hiding, God's mercies were hiding behind a dark cloud of affliction at this time. But by faith, He believed that behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face, as we sang about that Cooper wrote several hundred years ago. We acknowledge our troubles, and we tell God all about it. And at the same time, we must remind ourselves that God is faithful, and he has promised to be with us. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
And why? Why could David say that? He says, because thou art with me. That's how he could go through the valley of the shadow of death. So you can go through all the things that you have gone through, all the things that we might go through, and we can go through them with confidence because we can say, he will be with us. See, he's promised to be with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Will anyone ever be able to go up to God and say, God, you didn't keep your promise? <laughs> is, that, is that even a possibility? You wouldn't even think such a thing, right? It's such blasphemy to even think that God wouldn't keep his promise, but he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. But there are times when you will feel that he has. There are times some of you have felt that way, but he never did. And he never can. And you need to remember that. You need to call it to mind like Jeremiah did. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. We call these things to mind by faith and not by sight. And that's when you need them the most. When the sun is shining, you don't need them as much. It's still nice to know. It's still good to give God praise for it. But you really need it when you're going through the valley of affliction and sorrow and trouble. No matter how dark it gets, recall to mind that God loves me and Jesus died for me. When we can see no way out of our trouble, we need to recall to our mind that there's nothing too hard for God and that he will still lead us in green pastures and be with us. What brought Jeremiah hope? And what is our hope? He remembered God. Jesus told his disciples, didn't he, that night in which they were so very, very troubled, that night in which he was betrayed, he said, let not your heart be troubled. And what was the solution? Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, we believe he's a merciful God whose compassions never fail. We need to ask ourselves, is the Lord my portion? That's what Jeremiah says. The Lord is my portion in verse 24. And then we should ask ourselves that. Is the Lord my portion? In other words, is Jesus my Savior? If Jesus is my Savior, then the Lord is my portion. He says, says my soul, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. You see, we need to believe that from the very depths of our being, that the Lord is our portion. And this will give us the strength that we need. Therefore, I have hope. Can I compare this verse 24 to verse 21? Look at verse 21. When he says, this I call to my mind, therefore I have hope. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. You see, very similar wording, the same basic thought. In all of our thoughts, if they do not lead you to say, therefore I have hope, then you're not thinking like a Christian is supposed to think. You see? The Christian should never come to the conclusion after all of his meditations, therefore I have no hope. You know, that's the, that's the last thing that a Christian should ever say. We should never say it in our, with our lips, and we should never think it in our soul. People say things because they think those things, because they feel those things. And when we 
feel those things, we must be careful that we, we check ourselves and say, am I thinking biblically? Am I thinking truth? Am I thinking true thoughts or am I thinking false thoughts? <laughs> and when you come to the conclusion, therefore, I have no hope, you're not thinking like a Christian. Jeremiah was thinking like a Christian. If the Lord is our portion, if it is indeed a faithful saying that Jesus said and that Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a faithful saying. He said it's worthy of all acceptation. Have you accepted that faithful saying? And because you know that you're a sinner, have you come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? There may be someone here that has not come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If this is you, then you need to ask yourself, is the Lord my portion? But if you've received Christ, then the Lord is your portion. And if the Lord is your portion, you have reason to hope, real hope, a steadfast hope, a hope that doesn't fail us in the greatest of storms, in the greatest of difficulties. Another song says, why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. It's a comforting thought, isn't it? Hallelujah. We have such a wonderful God that we can think about and help us in our troubles. Well, in the trilogy of the verses that we have next, we see the fruit of our hope in God in verses 25 through 27. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. You see, here we see the theme of waiting. Waiting for a better future because of faith in God's promises. And this is the state of every Christian at all times. At verse 25, he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You see, faith believes that God is good even when everything else in life is trying to convince you that God is not good. Faith believes in God's timetable, not in our own. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time of trial and there's a time of trouble and there's a time of deliverance. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. But... What do we do in the weeping time, in the mourning time, in the troubled time? Well, all we have to do is to wait on God and wait for God. Verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, there's no one who grows in grace and in faith without learning to wait. That's a, that's a common lot for the people of God of all ages that we must learn to wait. Waiting is essential because God's timing is seldom our timing. 
I wonder how many of you here have been going through a severe trial and you've, you've said, Lord, I think I need this a little longer. Could you just keep this going a little longer? Have you ever prayed that way? I bet you none of you have. I know I never have. I've always thought I was ready to be over with it long before I was over with it. God knows what's best. And, um, and so when it says to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord here in verse 26, it's not speaking of waiting for your soul's salvation from sin. That's not what he's talking about. Because you know what? You don't need to wait for that. If you call upon the Lord today, God will save you today. You don't have to wait for your salvation from sin. God is quick to show mercy. God is quick to save. It means either here our salvation from trouble and sorrow or it could mean our ultimate salvation when the Lord Jesus returns. As in 1 Thessalonians where it says how they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. See, we're all waiting for his son from heaven, aren't we? You see, all Christians are in a waiting mode. We wait for the return of Christ, which is the time of our ultimate and our complete salvation. But we also wait for God to deliver us from all kinds of trials that we encounter down here below. Psalm 34:19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 27:14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You see, the Christian life is full of this waiting. We shouldn't let waiting rob us of our hope. It's because you've got to wait. Uh, waiting is a normal duty for all of God's children. And, uh, and we see this now also as we end with verse 27. It says, It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. <clears throat> children, a yoke is something that um, you put on a on an animal to uh, like uh, uh, pull a plow or something. You see a you see a, a picture of a, you know, a third world country of somebody with an oxen and they're plowing the field and the, this yoke that goes around their shoulders is what the plow is attached to and that's how they pull this implement or uh, buggy or whatever whatever it is. That's a yoke. Well, he's talking about a man bearing a yoke in his youth. Now, he's probably talking about the young man that were brought into captivity to Babylon. Uh, it was good for them in a number of ways, uh, literally speaking. Uh, first of all, they were not consumed. Uh, verse 22, it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. God did leave a remnant that he would show mercy to. And, and, and those that were led off to captivity were led away for their own good. So the yoke was good for them. They were being taken away alive. Their fellow youths had been killed or starved to death or they died of some terrible disease. So there were few that escaped. There were few that were led away captive. If you read the numbers of them, there were not very many at all. And Jerusalem was a very large city with probably over a million inhabitants. You can imagine how many people died. So these were spared. But the thirdly, they learned humble service. And for young people, this is very, very important. It's important for old people, too. But it was better for them to be slaves in Babylon than to be masters in Judah. 
Jeremiah knew about Daniel and his three friends, they would have been famous by this time because they were led astray captive in the, in the first captivity. There was actually two waves of, of uh, conquest and ca- captivity with Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends were led away in the first wave, and by the time of the writing of Lamentations, Daniel would have been very, very well known. In fact, Ezekiel writes about Daniel. Ezekiel was a contemporary who lived in Babylon with the captives. And so, um, and so Daniel was very famous by now. And he was, he was one of these youths that bore the yoke in his youth. And uh, it was definitely good for him and his three friends to bear the yoke in their youth. But there's another yoke that's even better. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, here's a yoke that is very good to bear in the youth or the old age, either one. But it's better in the youth. It's better to bear it when you're young. And Solomon says that in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Uh, Some might say, I don't want to be anyone's servant. I don't want to bear anybody's yoke. Well, let me tell you, you are wearing a yoke. Everybody here is wearing a yoke, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking. You're either wearing the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're wearing the yoke of the devil. You're serving one or the other. And you can't, there's no in-between. There's no middle ground. But Jesus here invites you to wear his yoke. And I can tell you, I began wearing the yoke of Christ 50 years ago in my youth. And I have never regretted it. Not one day, not one hour, not one minute have I ever regretted wearing the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not wearing the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, I challenge you to do this. Find any Christian here and ask them, are you getting tired of the yoke of Christ? Have you found the yoke of Christ to be too heavy for you? And there's not one that will say that it is. Although there are times when people might say something in the bitterness of their soul, in the depth of their affliction, that they might regret later. All of us do that sometimes. But but it's good to bear the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been bearing it for 50 years. I hope to bear it for a few more until the Lord takes me home. So... It hasn't exempted me from trouble, but it has exempted me completely from hopelessness. For when I'm the most grieved with my troubles, I recall to my mind, as Jeremiah did, the mercies of my God. And then, therefore, I have hope. I have hope. Are you without hope today? If you leave here without hope, it's entirely your own fault. It would be because you love your sin more than you love your own soul. Hope, real hope, is the sole domain of God. And it's dispensed only through the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. A 
upon whom the angels of God ascend to heaven and descend back to the earth with all these blessings in our lives. We sang about him being the fount of every blessing, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fount of every blessing. Great is his faithfulness. And I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. And if you're a Christian struggling with different troubles in your life, I encourage you to remember, like Jeremiah did, to call this to mind that the Lord is faithful. His compassions fail not. They do not fail. His word cannot fail. God can no more deny his word than he can deny himself. God will keep his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.